We come this evening in a study of the 8th chapter of Paul's epistle to the Romans to the 11th verse. The 11th verse in the 8th chapter of Paul's epistle to the Romans. But if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwelleth in you. Now, perhaps I'd better go back to verse 9 to remind you of the context. But ye are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if so be that the spirit of God dwell in you. Now, if any man have not the spirit of Christ, he is none of his. But if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. And if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his Spirit which dwelleth in you. Now, I say that it's important that as we come to consider this uh, verse, we should bear in mind the setting and the context. For the apostle here is uh, pursuing an argument that he's started much earlier. Now, the basic thing that we've got to keep in our minds is this, that the whole object of the entire chapter is to give us assurance and certainty about our final, complete salvation. That's the theme. There is therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus, he says. Now, that's the business. There is no condemnation now. There never will be. There never can be. So he's able to finally say at the end of the chapter, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor height nor depth nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now that's the conclusion. But he's been proving it step by step stage by stage, from the very beginning. And we have reached this particular point. We have been seeing how in verses 5 to 8, the apostle has been defining and describing the Christian over against the man who is not a Christian. The man who walks after the Spirit, that's the Christian. He minds the things of the Spirit and so on. But there's this other man. He walks after the flesh. The apostle has given us the two pictures in order that we may see exactly what a Christian is. He's interested in certain things. He desires God and he's submissive and subservient to the law of God and delights in the law of God and therefore he pleases God. Then in verse 9, the apostle applies all this to, the, to these Roman Christians. You, he says. I know, because you're Christians, you are not in the flesh. You are in the spirit, of course, because... If any man have not the Spirit of Christ, well, he's none of his. You can't be a Christian at all without having the Spirit of Christ. And if you have the Spirit of Christ in you, well, as he's been saying, you will mind the things of the Spirit. And you will have life and peace. Now, we've worked all that out. But then we came to verse 10, the last time we met. And I was pointing out that in verses 10 and 11, the apostle does a very interesting thing. He gives us a definition of the Christian, a picture of the Christian, 
as he now is in this world and in this life. Now, of course, he can't do that without also throwing his mind into the future. So you get in verse 10 the exact description of what we are now. Then verse 11, the account of what's going to happen to us, what we shall be. The two verses, therefore, between them help to give us an understanding of what the Christian is in the here and now, in the present. Let me remind you, therefore, of what we saw in verse 10. This is what he says, If Christ be in you, on the one hand, the body is dead because of sin. On the other hand, the spirit is life because of righteousness. Very well. Here, then, is the position of the Christian. In his spirit, he is already saved. The spirit is life because of righteousness. The Holy Spirit has given him life. That's another way of saying what he said away back in verse 2, where he said, The law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. The Christian is a man who is born again. He's got new life. Spiritually, he's alive. He was dead. Wasn't interested in the things of God then. He was at enmity against God. Not subject to the law of God, neither indeed could be. That was death. But now he's alive. The righteousness of Christ has been imputed to him. The Spirit has come to dwell within him. And in his Spirit, he is alive. That's the most glorious thing we'll ever understand in this life. But he says, while that is true of us in the spirit, it's not true of us in the body. The body is dead because of sin. Now, that is the present position of every Christian. While we are in this life and in this world, that will be the position. Spirit, yes, alive. Seated with Christ in the heavenly places now. We've been quickened with him. We've been raised with him. We are seated with him in the heavenly places. All that you'll find in Ephesians 2. The Spirit has life because of righteousness. Ah, yes. But while we are in this world and in this life, sin remains in the body. And we'll constantly have to watch it. We'll constantly have to fight it. He'll tell us that in detail in verses 12 and 13. But here, he's just putting it in general. The body is dead because of sin. There is no such thing as eradication of sin in this world. No such thing. This verse alone is sufficient to put that out once and forever. There is no such thing as sin being taken right out of a man. It's taken out of his spirit, but not out of his body. And hence, you see, the experience of all Christians at all times... Take that great man I've just been referring to, George Whitfield. You'll find that he knew something about that fight with all his amazing and wonderful experiences, sin in the body. And so the Christian has that fight to, to wage against sin. And so he's exhorted so much to watch and to pray and to do these things that we'll be dealing with later. Well, you say, isn't this somewhat depressing? Well, it shouldn't be depressing to anybody. This is meant to be most encouraging. In other words, what it's telling you is this, that you, in a sense, are as saved now as you'll ever be. I mean by that, 
spiritually, in your spirit, you yourself are already saved. The spirit is life because of righteousness. Reckon yourselves, he's already told us in chapter 6, verse 11, to be dead indeed unto sin and alive unto God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's the truth about us. We are not under law, we are under grace. And nothing can ever remove us. There is no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. Now then, here is the thing he says to realize. You yourself are saved. But then you say, well, if so, well, why do I get this trouble? Well, it's in your body, he says. It's left in your body. It's not in you, as it were, but it's in your body now. Not that you're no longer responsible. It doesn't mean that. But it does mean that, it, that you need to never be troubled about your salvation. The fact that you're conscious of sin within you, the, conscious that you're, the fact that you're conscious of the strength of temptation shouldn't make you query your salvation. No, you are saved, but here is this kind of rearguard action that you have to go on fighting with sin that is left in the body. Again, let me remind you that he's already told us in chapter 6 in verse 12, he says, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body. There's no need for you to do that, and you mustn't allow it to. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, that ye should obey it in the lust thereof. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin. Don't do that. But yield yourselves, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. All right, it's the same thing, really, that he's saying there in verse 10. That is the Christian. Already saved in the spirit, sin remaining in the body. The body is not yet saved. Now then, but that isn't the whole story. We go on to verse 11. Here he tells us, but if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwelleth in you. What's it mean? Well, unfortunately, I've got to give you two negatives first. I've got to give you them because people will persist in misinterpreting this verse. There are those who say that what the apostle is teaching here is a kind of moral resurrection unto a new life. Even the mighty John Calvin said that and fell into that trap of all people. But he did. He says this is moral resurrection. That we are being told here that uh, the Spirit will enable us to rise up above this conflict with sin in the body and to give us a kind of moral resurrection. Why do I reject that interpretation? Well, for these reasons. That if it means that, well, the apostle is just repeating himself. He's already said that, I would argue, in verses 5 to 8. That's exactly what he was saying there. It had to be said. It's true. There is a moral resurrection. That's what I mean by saying that the Spirit is life. He's already said it in verse 10 and in those previous verses. So he'd just be saying it all over again and he wouldn't be adding to his statement. But obviously, the way he introduces it is clear as an addition to what had already been stated. So there is one reason for rejecting it. Another reason and a stronger one is this. If it means just that, what is the relevance of the statement he that raised up Christ from the dead? His argument is that what God has done to Christ, he's going to do to us. Well, there was no moral resurrection in the case of the Lord Jesus Christ. There was never any moral death. But whatever he's talking about here is something that had happened to the Son of God. Therefore, it cannot, I say, have reference to any kind of moral resurrection. 
not only that I reject it for this reason, that that interpretation seems to me to miss the whole point of what the apostle was setting out to say just here. It misses the climax to which he is leading us after what he's just been saying in verse 10. So I reject this notion that uh, we have here uh, just a description of a moral resurrection. Then there's another negative. The friends who believe in faith healing, so-called, are rather fond of this verse because they feel that this is just a statement of the doctrine of faith healing. If the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, in other words, if you're a Christian and if you're saved, well then, they say, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies, in other words, heal your mortal bodies, and give you perfect health by his spirit that dwelleth in you. There are people who interpret it to mean that. Why do I reject that interpretation? Well, here are some of the reasons. To start with, it's entirely foreign to the whole context. He's not concerned with that problem or with that question at all. And indeed, it means that there is no connection between verse 10 and uh, verse 11 and verse 10. There, categorically, in verse 10, he has said that the body is dead and remains dead because of sin. Well, he can't be saying here, then, that... uh, if that means that the body suffers from sickness, that it's delivered from it, because he tells us that it's not delivered from it. While we're in this world, the body remains dead because of sin. So that uh, it, it, it misses the connection with the tenth verse. And once more, what about this statement concerning our Lord? He that raised up Christ from the dead. That's a reference to this which actually happened to our Lord. That had nothing to do with sickness or illness at all. But it did have reference to the fact that he had died and that his body was buried in a grave. Indeed, it seems to me that there is nothing in favor of this treatment of the verse at all, except the desire to clutch at any verse that seems capable of being pressed into such a meaning. I would actually argue that the verse is really against all such teaching. You're familiar with the teaching. It puts it like this. Healing, they say, is in the atonement. The atonement of Christ, they argue, uh, covers all the evil effects of sin. Not only my guilt and so on, and the punishment that I deserved, yes, but it goes beyond that. All that the body has suffered as the result of sin, it's all in the atonement. So a Christian... Uh, should never be sick, he should never be in ill health, he should always enjoy perfect health, he should never uh, die from any disease uh, whatsoever. But you see, the argument is incomplete. If you argue that all the effects of sin are dealt with immediately by the atonement, well then I argue that a Christian should never die. Because death, physical death, is one of the consequences, as I'll show you in a moment, of the fall and of sin. And therefore, if they are logical, they must say that a Christian should never even die if everything is in the atonement. In an ultimate sense, as I'm going to show, everything is in the atonement. But what the apostle is saying here is this. While we are in this world and in this life, it is only partial. We are already given it all in the realm of the spirit. The spirit is life because of righteousness. Ah, yes, but when you come to the body, no... 
There's no complete deliverance there. That is yet to come. So we are left not only with diseases, but also with death. It is our mortal body. Very well, so we reject both those uh, suggestions with regard to interpretation and come to our positive one, which is this. I've already hinted at it, that the apostle is here teaching the resurrection and the glorification of our bodies. But if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwelleth in you. Why do I argue that it must mean this? Well, here are some of the reasons. One, the very phrase I say again about our Lord being raised from the dead. That is, of course, a clear and unmistakable and undisputable reference to the literal physical resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ in the body from the grave. That's the key to it all. That's what he's talking about. And you notice that he repeats that twice, as if to make sure that we couldn't misunderstand it. If the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also. Twice over, he talks about his literal physical resurrection. Then I would put secondly this, that the two phrases about the spirit dwelling in us, clearly and obviously point to our physical bodies. You see, here it is, if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, then at the end you've got it again, shall quicken your immortal bodies by his spirit that dwelleth in you. Where does the spirit dwell? Well, he dwells in our bodies, in our literal physical bodies. Do you remember how the apostle puts it in 1 Corinthians 6:19? Know ye not, he says, that your bodies are the temples of the Holy Ghost which dwelleth in you. The Holy Ghost dwells in our bodies, and here he says it twice over. So the reference is something that's going to happen to this body of ours in which the Holy Spirit is now dwelling since we've become Christian. And thirdly, this is the only way in which you see that the apostle is working up to a great climax. You see, in verse 10 he said, well, this is the position. Your spirit is life because of righteousness, but your body at the moment and while you're in this world is dead because of sin, but it's all right, he says. There's a time coming when even your body is going to be raised. That's the climax. And this is the only interpretation that leads to a climax. The other two don't have this climax at all. But the apostle is working up to this. He's giving us comfort. He's giving us assurance. He wants to show us why we ought to be rejoicing. Already saved in spirit. And to be saved also in the realm of the body. Very well. Take this word of his quicken. Shall also quicken your mortal bodies. It's a very strong word that. It isn't the same word that he uses when he says uh, the spirit of him that raised up Jesus. He that raised up Christ. That isn't the word that he uses here which, which is translated by quicken. Because it means this. It means to make alive. Our bodies need to be really made alive. And that's what's going to happen to them. We're not merely going to be resuscitated. 
Our bodies are going to be made alive. You see, at the moment they're only mortal bodies. Shall also quicken your mortal bodies. I was pointing out last time, they've got these weaknesses in them and infirmities. They've got these marks of sin and sin dwells in them. Seeds of death are here. Mortal bodies. But then they'll be made alive. My body shall be alive. My spirit's already alive. My body will then be alive also. That's what he's saying. Now then, there is the essential statement. But I want to call your attention to one or two particular matters. One of them is this. We are compelled once more to call attention to the doctrine of the blessed Holy Trinity. For it is here. You notice these phrases. In the middle phrase he says, He that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwelleth in you. There is a clear reference to the fact that it is the Father who is going to do this. God the Father. And yet in the last phrase, he clearly is telling us that it's going to be done by the Spirit. By the Spirit that dwelleth in us. In other words, you get the same work attributed at one point to the Father, and at another point, to the Spirit. And those who are familiar with the Gospel according to St. John will remember that in chapter 6, verse 40, the Lord Jesus Christ himself said, I will raise him up at the last day. He's talking there about a believer. And he says, I will raise him up at the last day. There he says that he's going to do it. The Father's going to raise us, the Son's going to raise us, the Holy Spirit is going to raise us. Now, this is an interesting point and an important one. You get the same thing about our Lord himself. You will find our Lord saying in John 10, 17 and 18 that he is going to raise himself. Quite specifically, explicitly. He says that he is going to raise his own body. He says, I have power to lay down my life. I have power to take it up again. He's going to do it. And yet the general teaching of the scriptures is that he was raised by the Father. Now, how do we reconcile these things? Well, the answer is, there is only one way of reconciling, and that is the doctrine of the blessed Holy Trinity. The three persons in the one Godhead. The three in one and the one in three. Here you see this verse really helps us to understand the doctrine. If the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Jesus, that raised up Christ from the dead, shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwelleth in you. The Father uses the spirit to do this. The Father uses the Son. It's a great mystery, this. But you remember, we've already been looking at the same thing in a sense when we've been noticing the different ways in which the Spirit is described. You are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If so, be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now, if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. The Holy Spirit is called sometimes the Spirit of God, then he's called the Spirit of Christ, and then he's described himself as the Holy Spirit. But there's no contradiction here. The three are one, the one is in three persons. Don't try to understand this. Nobody can. It baffles understanding. But we've got to recognize it. And that is why as Christians we are Trinitarians. 
And that is why we are not Jehovah's Witnesses. And that is why we are not Unitarians and many other things that we are not. It is the Scriptures that lead us to be Trinitarians. There's something very glorious about this. You see, what I deduce from it is that the three blessed persons in the Holy Trinity are concerned about me and about my salvation. The Father planned it all. The Son came to execute it. The Spirit applies it. What a wonderful thing it is. So that you can attribute the work to the one or to the other because the three are involved and all the glory must be given to the three blessed persons. Well, there it is. We've got to note these things in passing, if for no other reason than this. I was reminding you, I believe, a few Friday nights ago, that uh, the great division in the church, as between the Eastern Church and the Western Church, took place very largely over this kind of point. And you see, if it ever did that, you and I should know something about that. You see how keenly people took these doctrines, how keenly they studied their scriptures. Well, we should be the same in our day and in our generation. Well, I refer to it like that just in passing, but let me come to something more practical. Has it ever occurred to you as you've read this verse as to why the apostle put it in this extraordinary manner? It seems rather an involved statement, doesn't it? Listen, listen to it again. If the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwelleth in you. If he's really saying, well, uh, at the moment it's true to say of you that your body is dead because of sin, uh, but your spirit is life because of righteousness, and then he wants to say, but it's all right, God is also going to raise your bodies. Why didn't he say it like that? Why didn't he just put it like that? He says, but God will also quicken or raise your mortal bodies. But instead of putting it like that simply, directly, here is this extraordinary phrase, if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwelleth in you. It seems a very involved way of saying the thing, doesn't it? Why do you think he did that? Well, there's one thing we can be quite sure of. It was done quite deliberately. It wasn't that the apostle was tired. It wasn't that he was negligent about his style and suddenly had become involved. No, no, it is done quite deliberately. And it's done in order to give us a key to the understanding and the true interpretation of this mighty and most significant statement. What's it mean? Well, the thing you see that he's emphasizing is this. That the Holy Spirit dwells in us. He starts with it, he ends with it. He says it twice, beginning and end, in order to let it... Now, that's the thing that matters. If the Spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you. Then at the end he says, because he dwells in you. Now then, why do I say that this is the key? Well, it's the key in this way. Because that is true, says the Apostle, I can deduce certain things from it which are also equally true. It is because the Holy Spirit dwells in me as a Christian that I can be absolutely certain of the resurrection and the glorification of this mortal body of mine. That's the thing I want to know. 
I'm saved, yes, but I'm aware of sin. And the devil can come and can use this mortal body of mine and its members to trap me. And I want to be rid of this. That's what every Christian longs. Well, now then, I can be happy about it. I can be certain about it. I've got a guarantee. My body's going to be delivered. But what's my guarantee? Well, the guarantee results from the fact that the Spirit of God dwells within me. Let me break it up for you like this. The Holy Spirit dwelling in a Christian is the seal and the earnest of the final redemption of the purchased possession. Now, I'm quoting, as you realize, Ephesians 1, verses 13 and 14. Let me read them to you. In whom ye also trusted, after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession. He's been given for that reason, that we may be sealed and have an earnest, have an assurance. He's the guarantee that God himself has given us. That's the first deduction. But secondly, we can be quite certain of this. If God has actually gone to the extent of giving us of his own Holy Spirit, which can be described actually as the Spirit of God himself, If God has gone as far as that with respect to me, he's not going to stop short. God isn't a man. God never starts a thing and leaves it. God's work is never incomplete. He which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. If God has put his spirit in you, he's going on with the work in you until it's finally complete. That's a tremendous deduction, that. But we are fully entitled to draw it. If God has done this, he'll go on. And he has done this. If the Spirit is in you, therefore, you can be quite certain that the work is going to be completed. Then thirdly, the Spirit, as I've already reminded you, actually dwells in our mortal bodies. That's the statement of 1 Corinthians 6, 19. Our bodies are the temple of the Holy Ghost. Very well then, if God puts his Holy Spirit into this mortal body of mine, well then I argue that he's not going to leave it at that. He's going to make that body worthy of this host that has come within it. And that's what he's telling me. He will do it. He's put the Spirit into that body of yours, and he's going to make that body of yours fit and worthy to have the Spirit within him. Fourthly, the Spirit that is in us is the same Spirit that was in the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. Here he is, Jesus Christ. The Spirit was in him, the same Spirit is in us. The same Spirit exactly. Not only that, as he's told us abundantly in the preceding verses, we are in Christ. We are no longer in Adam, we are in Christ. That was chapter 5. We were in Adam, no longer in Christ. We were under the law, no longer dead to that, in Christ. Well, and it means this, as we saw at such length in chapter 6, because we are in Christ, everything that has happened to him is going to happen to us. We were crucified with him, we died with him, we were buried with him, yes, we'll be risen with him. It's an absolute fact. 
We are in him, and therefore all that happens to him must happen to us. Well, he was literally raised from the dead in the body, so shall we be. Christ is risen, we are risen, we shall rise. Christ the first fruits, then, after, then they that are Christ's. It is an absolute fact, this. And therefore, he says, if you've got the Spirit in you, it means that Christ is in you, and you are in Christ, and therefore, you can be certain of your resurrection. And uh, fifthly, I would put it like this. Our deliverance from sin and all its consequences, and all the consequences of the fall, would not be complete apart from the resurrection of our bodies. Now, we know that in the fall, and as a result of sin, the whole of men fell. It wasn't merely man's spirit that fell, men fell completely as an entity. Spirit, soul, body. It was a total fall. Sin and evil have infected the whole of men, including his very body. And our bodies are mortal bodies because of the fall. If men had never fallen and have sinned, the body would not have been mortal. But it's become mortal. It's an evil body. It's a frail, a weak body. It's got the seeds of death in it and it's going to die. All because of sin and the fall. Christ has come to redeem, to deliver us from the fall, from all the consequences of sin. Yes, well, very well then, I argue, he must complete the work by raising my very body. I am not completely saved until my body is saved. As my body has participated in the effects of Adam's one sin, so my body must participate in the effects of the action of this other one man, this second man, this last Adam. So, you see, it is essential that we must emphasize the resurrection of the body. And that is why these people who don't believe in the literal physical resurrection of the body of Christ or of my body are denying the scriptures and missing one of the most glorious aspects of the Christian salvation. If this body of mine isn't going to be redeemed and glorified, well then I say Christ has failed at that point. Our bodies are as they are. They're subject to diseases. They're subject to death. They're the place where sin dwells and where the devil is constantly tempting us and trying us, all because of sin and the fall. And unless we are going to reach a stage and a point in which that is no longer true of the body, then I say that the work of the Savior would have been incomplete. But thank God, the apostle here is reminding us that it will not be incomplete. Though it is true to say of me now that the body is dead because of sin, there is a day coming when it will not be true. He will also raise your mortal body by his spirit that dwelleth in you. Very well then, what does this all mean? Let me put it to you like this as I close. It's rarely what he'll say again in verse 23. Not only they, he says, but ourselves also, 
which have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption. What's that? To wit, the redemption of our body. It's coming. Not yet. We that are in this tabernacle do groan, being burdened. The whole creation groaneth and travaileth until now. Even we do, that have had the first fruits of the Spirit. That's to come, and we are waiting for it. But it's going to come. Yes, it's the same thing, you see, as we were reading at the beginning in 1 Corinthians 15. This body is going to be raised. It's the same thing as you get in Philippians 3.20. Our citizenship is in heaven, from whence also we expect the Savior. Who shall change this our vile body, that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body, according to that mighty working, whereby he is able to subdue even all things unto himself? That's it. This body of my humiliation, he'll change it, so that it'll be like the body of his glorification. Yes, says John, I must come in on this. Beloved, now are we the sons of God? We know not yet what we shall be, but we know this, that when he doth appear, we shall see him as he is and shall be like him. Same thing. What does it mean then? Well, it means this, that man at last will be entirely and completely redeemed and delivered. He's already that in the spirit. The day will come when he'll be like that in the body. That's what will happen when Christ comes again. The resurrection. If there are some of us still left when he comes, we'll be changed. But it'll come to the same thing. Whether we shall have died and our bodies be buried in a grave or rotting in at the bottom of the sea, whether we shall have been burst into atoms, it doesn't matter. Whatever the position is, there'll be this glorification, this mighty working, whereby he is able to subdue even all things unto himself. What's the teaching? Let me put it to you like this. There is a continuity. It is my body that will be raised. I will have my identity. My body will be recognizable. That is why, you see, Peter and James and John could recognize Moses and Elias on the Mount of Transfiguration. All will not appear the same. No, no. My essential body is going to be raised. This configuration. It's not a matter of molecules. It's not a matter of flesh and blood. Did you notice the apostle says that? He says flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. So don't be put off by people who say, how can your body be raised if it's blown to atoms in an explosion? Oh, but that's flesh and blood. My body is the particular configuration that the atoms tend to take in my case and in your case, and that's going to be raised. As I say, if we are still on earth when he returns, there will be a mighty miracle wrought in our flesh and blood so that it becomes a glorified body. Therefore, I argue that there is on the one hand a sameness and continuity. On the other hand, there is the difference in the actual constitution. The same body, but then glorified. It's not glorified now. It's very different. Very well, what does this mean? Well, it'll be like him and like the body of his glorification. From whence also we expect the Savior who shall change this our vile body, that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body. 
Christian people. This is our heritage. This is what's going to happen to us. How can we be dejected? How can we be unhappy? How can we go through this world groaning as miserable Christians? Your very body is going to be glorified. His was glorified. Saul had a glimpse of him on the road to Damascus. The glorified body. The body in which he suddenly came into the room, though the doors and the windows were shut, you remember, to those frightened disciples. Our bodies shall be glorified like unto his body of glorification. What's it mean? Oh, this is the glorious thing. This old body of mine will then be free from sin. It isn't now. My spirit is, my body isn't. But then it'll be free from sin. It'll be free from weakness. It'll be free from disease. It will no longer have decay in it. It'll no longer be subject unto death. It will be glorious. Worthy of the spirit. Worthy of the divine life that is in us. Let me read you some of the words of the apostle again. So also is the resurrection of the dead. It is sown in corruption. That's it now. Corrupt. It is raised in incorruption. It is sown in dishonor. That's it now. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. That's it now, isn't it? Oh, how weak are these bodies. There'll be no weakness about them then. We'll be filled with vigor and power and strength. Nothing resembling weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. There is a natural body. That's it. That's what I've got now. And it's a mortal body. But there is a spiritual body. That is what I shall have. The first man, Adam, was made a living soul. The last Adam was made a quickening spirit. And he'll even quicken my very body. And it will be a glorious body. It'll happen in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trump. For the trumpet shall sound and the dead shall be raised. Incorruptible. These are only the Christian dead, remember, not the others. They're not going to be raised incorruptible, but you and I are. The dead shall be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. This corruptible must put on incorruption and this mortal must put on immortality. It's going to happen. It's certain. How do I know? Well, the Spirit of God is in me now. It's a guarantee he's going to do it. He's put the Spirit into this body, this mortal, corrupt, frail, weak body. And it's an assurance to me that all this is going to be raised and changed and renovated. No weakness, no disease, no sin, no frailty, no decay, no death. Immortality. Complete salvation. Body. Soul, spirit, entirely, utterly, absolutely delivered from sin and all its effects and all its vestiges. Oh, yes. Hold on to the resurrection of the body. We shall not spend our eternity as disembodied spirits. No, no. We shall be there with the same essential body but glorified. Your identity will remain and will be preserved. But it will all be glorious. The effects and evil, results of sin and the fall, will have been entirely destroyed. There will even be a new heaven and a new earth, wherein dwelleth righteousness. 
This old world will have been renovated and glorified in the same way. And you and I, Christian people, will be walking on it and dwelling in it like our blessed Lord, glorified, perfect, complete, entire, in every respect, the whole man, spirit, soul, body, even the vile body, entirely delivered. At the moment, my spirit is life because of righteousness. But my body is dead because of sin. Am I dejected? Am I despondent a thousand times? No. This is only temporary. This is only transient. The spirit is in us. And because the spirit is in us, we know that even the body is going to be delivered. Satan will be completely routed, finally defeated, ultimately destroyed. And all will be glory. For those who are Christ's, in whom his spirit now dwells as a seal and an earnest of the glory indescribable, which is to come. Do you normally think of yourself like that, Christian? That's you. Body dead because of sin, spirit life because of righteousness, yes, and more. Because of that, even the body shall be quickened, made alive, filled with divine vigor and glory, like unto his glorious body itself. Lift up your heads. Look ahead. Listen to the voice and the testimony of the earnest that is within you. And long and wait for the adoption, to wit, the redemption of your body. Amen. O oh Lord, our God, we know not how to thank thee sufficiently for such glorious truth. Oh, forgive us for our slowness to learn, for our blindness. Forgive us that we are so much of the earth earthy and listen so much to the voice of the devil and look so much at the world which is round and about us. O oh God, enable us to realize this great and glorious truth and ever to live in its light and in the anticipation of the coming of this great day. O oh Lord, hear us and bless us to that end. And now may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship and the communion of the Holy Spirit Abide and continue with us. Now, throughout the remainder of this hour, short and certain, earthly life and pilgrimage, and until we shall see him as he is and be like him in glory. Amen. We do hope that you've been helped by the preaching of Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones. All of the sermons contained within the MLJ Trust audio library are now available for free download. You may share the sermons or broadcast them. However, because of international copyright, please be advised that we are asking first that these sermons never be offered for sale by a third party. 
And second, that these sermons will not be edited in any way for length or to use as audio clips. You can find our contact information on our website at mljtrust.org. That's mljtrust.org.